0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you, from God our Father, through the Lord Jesus. Amen. Our mission as a congregation is to welcome all people into the kingdom of God by fostering relationships. And we believe that this is all centered upon Jesus, who welcomes all people into the kingdom of God by restoring relationships, restoring relationships between God and humanity, and restoring relationships, therefore, One to another. And as people who live in that, we desire to carry that out and to live in it as well. And so today, we get a glimpse into Jesus carrying out this very work of welcoming and of fostering relationships. There are certain jobs, certain professions today that, for whatever reason, often carry with it various negative connotations. For instance, the term lawyer. If somebody is a lawyer, it may conjure up, well, maybe you know some lawyer jokes. Maybe you have ideas of someone being sneaky, dishonest, or a downright liar, right? And we have this, like, synonymous joke about lawyer and liars. They sound kind of the same. It's not true of lawyers, right? Wholesale. But we have this cultural picture that brings with it assumptions about a person's character. We do similar things with doctors, right? Right? Doctors sometimes maybe a bit more uppity, maybe a bit more wealthy, even if that's not necessarily the case. Car mechanics, right? Because the assumption about a car mechanic is you have to find a good one. Why? Because the rest of them are crooks. Again, it's not actually true, but we talk and we function this way. Or think about the notions that come up for someone who is maybe an IRS agent or if a tax auditor knocks on your door, Jesus sees a tax collector by the name of Matthew, and he says, follow me. Matthew got up and followed him. Tax collector is not simply a profession. It's one that, when is mentioned, brings with it all sorts of negative responses and connotations. Tax collectors wholesale, pretty much, throughout the Roman Empire were despised. And not just by the Jewish community, by the other groups within the Roman Empire as well. It was often assumed that tax collectors were greedy and dishonest because of the way that they would have to do their work. They would make bids on collecting taxes. And so there might be this greedy sense that, well, if I can make more money than what I bid, I can walk away with more. They're often seen as being harmful to the poor. There is even some historical evidence that in Egypt, when harvests were bad and a village got wind that a tax collector was coming to town, it wasn't impossible for that entire village to leave their town and set up their village somewhere else. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? We don't vacate towns and cities to avoid people today in that way because we don't have to. We just don't answer the door if they knock, Right? We create distance through virtual means, screening our calls or just not calling somebody if we don't want to interact with them. Many Jewish people in those days, right? tax collectors kind of despised around the Roman Empire, many Jewish people viewed tax collectors as traitors, to add that. Because, well, tax collectors worked for the ruling and oppressive power of Rome. This is no small thing that Jesus says to a tax collector, follow me, and makes them one of the 12 apostles. And not only that, but right after this, we're told that they go to Matthew's house, they have this banquet feast, and Jesus doesn't simply have a meal with Matthew, but there's a whole bunch of other tax collectors there, and also a bunch of sinners, The word sinner here is probably not being used in a general way that we often do, as in the song that we just sang. Excuse me. Um, Not in the sense of all have fallen short and uh, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Instead, these may be people who have specifically done things offensive towards God that are public to the community, right? They may have done something, maybe they're like the known town thief or something like this. Or maybe they haven't done anything necessarily offensive to God, but they are viewed with disgust by other people around them as, right, quote-unquote, the sinners. While we do not know anything specific about this group that's there, what we do know is the response of the Pharisees. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? This isn't a neutral question, right? This isn't the Pharisees saying, Oh, that's, that's interesting what Jesus is doing. I'd like to learn more about this. No, regardless of what sinner stands for here, these words bring with them venom and disgust. Why does he eat with tax collectors? Which, again, isn't a bad profession, right? And sinners. You see, sharing a meal together in those days wasn't just about food, This is not like us going into a restaurant and you're surrounded by lots of people that are eating, right? We're willing to be in the same room with whoever's there. Sharing a meal, right? Sharing a table signified something about that relationship. Sometimes it was something transformative about that relationship There was a willingness to welcome others as friends. It was a time for fostering relationships and even maybe showing a type of acceptance to those that were there by welcoming them. But this was all in a way that the Pharisees found disgusting and offensive. The Pharisees, to be fair, often get I don't know if it's a bad rep or maybe it's just an unfair reputation. We may have heard that Pharisees were legalistic. They're concerned about purity laws, following the law so that they would be, why, approved by God? Because if you do enough good stuff, then God will really love you. Sometimes our view of the Pharisees is that they had no understanding of mercy or grace at all, and that's really not historically the case. The Pharisees, along with Judaism in general in those days, was not void of mercy A basic tenet of the faith in those days was that God chose Israel out of all of the nations of the world. And it's not because they were better. It was just God's gracious choosing. He claimed Abraham and his family and his descendants. And forgiveness was also not necessarily something earned as we think of it today. uh, As we kind of impose upon them today. But it was given by God's favor. The reading right prior to this... Jesus forgives a person because of their sins. The Pharisees don't say God isn't merciful, he doesn't forgive. He says no one can forgive except for God, right? They understood God was merciful, that he was forgiving. Nevertheless, the importance of being able to distinguish themselves from amongst the rest of the people of the world, from the Roman Empire, for instance... Or even for Pharisees distinguishing themselves from other Jewish groups, for instance, by following strict adherence of ritual purity and other legal matters, it was important. They saw it as an act of faithfulness towards Yahweh and their commitment to him. But again, it was a way of maintaining identity and maintaining distinction amongst a whole lot of other people and types of people. Yet in the midst of this foundation of gracious choosing, the Pharisees are nevertheless offended at the actions of Jesus. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's eating with those people. This is weird. I mean, how can this be? How can a group that has a foundational understanding of grace and God's mercy and choosing, how can a group like, like that respond with despise and disgust to Jesus and those that he is with? We know what grace is. We know what God's mercy is. We praise him for welcoming the tax collector and the sinner, right? We have a rich, deep, foundational understanding of God's forgiveness and his compassion. He welcomes sinners, right? But what if we play around with those words a little bit today? Tax collector and sinner. Jesus eats with lawyers and car mechanics. Fine, right? We don't really necessarily have an issue with that. Jesus eats with tax auditors and doctors. Fine, right? No big deal. Jesus eats with Muslims and atheists. Hold on a minute. Jesus gathers together to share a meal, to foster relationships with people from the LGBTQIA2S plus community. He gathers to share a meal but Democrats gathers to share a meal with Republicans, independents. Some are deeply offended when they see Jesus with tax collectors and sinners, with those people. And if we find a sense of disturbance with this idea or shock or maybe disgust, even with the foundation of mercy that we have and that we trust in, then maybe we need to pay really close attention to what Jesus has to say And what he does. Jesus says it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And guess who are obviously the ones who are sick in this passage? The Pharisees. The ones who respond to Jesus with disgust. Jesus tells them, go. And learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call those in a right relationship, but those who are sinners. This is, to be sure, loving of Jesus to say to the Pharisees. He is being compassionate to them still, but it's probably also a bit offensive to these religious leaders, right? To the Bible experts of the day, go learn what this means. And then he quotes the scriptures. It'd be like if Jesus was around today and I saw him do something that I was like, Jesus, I'm not sure that's the right thing to do. That seems a bit offensive to me. And he says, Pastor, go learn what this means that God so loved the world. What? I'd probably be offended thinking, I know what that means. I know about mercy. I know about God's compassion. But nevertheless, Jesus says, go and learn. And I think there are at least three ways that we are to go and learn. First, we go back to the scriptures. Jesus is quoting the prophet Hosea that we heard a reading from a moment ago. The people of God in that prophetic work had been presuming upon God's grace. They thought that simply carrying out their formal acts of worship, that saying they trust in Yahweh's mercy, Residing in that mercy was enough. After all God's compassion, it's like the spring rains. It's like the winter rains. It's like the sunrise. It's going to be there. Sure, it's hard for a day or two, but two or three days, everything is going to be fine. Because Yahweh's mercy is consistent like the weather. But Yahweh doesn't actually accept this repentance in our reading, if you noticed. Why? Because they view him as one of the bales of those days, one of the common idols who was responsible for the rains, the sun, and the harvest. They sacrifice to Yahweh, they celebrate Yahweh's festivals, they praise Yahweh for his mercy, his gracious choosing and compassion, and then they turn and they sacrifice to Baal as well. And in so doing, they claim Yahweh is gracious and merciful, but they disconnect that mercy from welcoming and being compassionate towards others. Instead, they grow in disgust and distrust, and they foment injustice in their city, shedding innocent blood, oppressing the poor and the marginalized. They thought of Yahweh as Baal, right? Oh, Baal sends the reins every year. He's going to send his mercy again. It's no big deal, right? It's going to happen. Yahweh tells them, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Formal acts of worship, our foundational understanding of grace and favor from uh, from God in which we've been chosen, is meant to shape our lives. What we do here is meant to shape us in trust towards him, but also in how we carry out mercy towards other people. If it doesn't, right, if the foundational mercy we have doesn't shape us to be merciful to others, do we really understand God's mercy? We trust it. Jesus says, go and learn. Go and learn. While Jesus may be inviting the Pharisees to meditate on Hosea's words, he is also inviting them to learn from him, because he puts himself at the center of this mercy that God desires. And this is the second way that I think he's encouraging us to go and learn. The Pharisees watch Jesus welcome tax collectors and sinners. They find it disturbing But as Jesus cites Hosea, he teaches them, I have come to call. I have come to call. They are to walk away from that situation and not simply go to the scriptures and reread Hosea, which is a good thing maybe for them to do, but to meditate also not only on the words, but the actions of Jesus that they are witnessing. We too are invited to go and learn in this way. Not only do we encounter God's mercy towards us in the scriptures, we see it embodied in Jesus. He goes to the outcasts. He associates with the lowly. He welcomes the ones who are tax collectors and sinners, who are viewed with disdain and disgust. And maybe they've been unfaithful to God, or maybe some of them haven't, but they're still viewed in that way. But he is restoring and fostering relationships, especially with those who are pushed away or kept at a distance. He's drawing them to himself. And most fully, as we know and trust by the Spirit, we see this in his crucifixion and his resurrection. As we go and learn from Jesus, we see ourselves being welcomed. We see ourselves being accepted in his death and resurrection Even when we still function in this way where it's, yes, I trust in his mercy, and yet I may view somebody else as less than human. He still accepts and welcomes us because he's come to save us from our sin. He is welcoming and binding people to himself, the Jews, his own people, and even those who are not, the Gentiles. He binds the Pharisees, the Romans, the tax collectors, and any other labels that may be put upon people. He binds them all to himself to restore us all to God and to restore us all to one another. As we go and learn from him, we rejoice and we find comfort in his grace and his favor we don't presume upon it, right? But he continues to give it shockingly and amazingly. But there's another way that I think that Jesus is calling his people to go and learn, and that's by doing. One, we meditate upon the scriptures and God's character depicted there faithfully for us. We, two, meditate and contemplate the words and actions of Jesus for us and for others. But then we go and learn by engaging in relationships with people, whether we find it comfortable or not. When Jesus tells the Pharisees, go and learn, I imagine it's not out of Jesus' purview for them to go and either be welcomed by... Or go and also welcome the ones that they have kept at a distance. Some of you know that about six years ago, I went to school to become a massage therapist while I was living in Louisville, Kentucky. And I was licensed and then I worked at a chiropractor's office, helping people with back pain, pinched nerves, headaches, and a host of other uh, medical issues that would come up for them. A major part of my training in class was, well, anatomy and physiology. Lots of charts, lots of memorization about what the body does and how it functions. Excuse me. But a a vast majority of my class beyond that was also hands-on work, right? We worked with all of the people in our class, including the instructors, and they all worked with us. And I'll be honest, there were a few moments in class that I had kind of this, like, internal crisis. (laughs) I mean, I go into class and it's like, yes, we're all human beings together. We all are equally created in God's eyes. We bear his image. And some of us may know that. Some of us may not. Whatever, right? We're all human beings. And then when you go to get close to somebody to do something like that work... There was a moment where it was like, is this okay? And I felt this sense of discomfort or this sense of, I don't know if what I'm doing is okay. And specifically this came up with one man about my age in the class who was gay. He and his partner had a son, talked about their son. And there was this moment where it was like, is this okay? And I had to check myself because I realized I was no longer viewing and treating that person as a human being because of that anxiety. Right? It was unfair in that regard. I was acting more like one of these Pharisees in that regard. I had to go and learn in that situation what it is to do mercy, because in that moment, I was somebody who was sick, who needed a doctor. I needed Jesus' compassion. <clears throat> I need to go and learn what it is to do mercy and carry out compassion that I say is foundational for me and that I trust in. And it's not a whole lot different for people in other professions, for instance, as well. And maybe you experience this in your own profession. Jesus says it's not the healthy who need a doctor. As I talked about with the kids, if a sick person comes into a clinic, it doesn't matter who they are, it doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter regardless of their past or their present. They are to be welcomed and cared for with mercy and compassion, right? Mercy and compassion. I don't think we have to go very far in our lives to go and learn in this way. You don't have to drop your current profession, or come out of retirement and go and become a massage therapist at a chiropractor's office. You don't need to go to medical school school and uh, be a nurse or a doctor. At the grocery store, the t-shirts that people wear, you may read some of the words or phrasings, whether it's political or something else, and it may elicit a response of disgust. A sense, I can't believe that somebody's walking around with that message or that image on their shirt. We may come across other people wearing name tags, right, with the pronouns that they would prefer. Maybe we have family members or friends who are part of the LGBTQIA2S plus community. Maybe there's people in our neighborhoods who are part of different religions, different ethnicities. And we see them and we think, yeah, of course, they're a human being. God has compassion for them. And yet, when we get close, we notice this discomfort this disturbance, something kind of welling up inside of us, the thought of being near to them or interacting with them suddenly creates some sort of discomfort. If that's the case, which I think it is for all of us in some way, and it can even be towards our own spouses, right? Our own parents at times. If that is the case, we need to continue to go and learn. Go and learn. Go to the scriptures, go to Jesus both in the text and out in the world as he calls us to welcome all people into the kingdom of God by fostering relationships. This may not mean like hosting a big banquet meal with a bunch of people you don't know, like bringing over a bunch of IRS tax auditors or something like this. That's not what this text is about. Maybe it's something more mundane. Maybe it means a phone call to a family member to invite them over for a meal. Maybe it's a phone call to a family member or a close friend to, we'll just go out for coffee together. Maybe it's to seek out having a face-to-face conversation with somebody so you can make an apology for ostracizing them in some way or treating them with disgust. Maybe it's working on better recognizing that disgust and fear when it shows up in our daily interactions, the assumptions we make about people at the store, To learn to better recognize those things. Even when we're driving down the interstate and we look over and we see somebody else behind the wheel, whatever assumptions we may make about them. Maybe it means just striving for kindness in our words. Being willing to say a, a nice greeting towards somebody else, regardless of the message that they're putting forward. Jesus eats with tax collectors and all those sinners. Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. I desire mercy. We live by that mercy every single day. But that which we receive from God, he also calls us to embody as we have been and as we continue to go and learn to do in deeper and deeper ways. I pray that God's spirit would be with us as we continue to go and learn to embody that mercy.